0: Well, I enjoyed singing all those songs this morning about missions. Uh, If you noticed, it was kind of a grand theme that uh, ran throughout all those songs, as well as the prayer that Dan uh, Wilbershide, uh, one of our newest deacons, uh, offered just a little while ago and gave a little report about India. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue in the series entitled He is Able. I hope that by now you see and understand that He is able is more than just a debt reduction campaign. Uh, this is more than just uh, us asking you to pray about and consider giving money towards a debt. We're trying to just really show you everything about the heartbeat of who we are as a church. And obviously, missions is one of those things that is significant as far as the identity of our church and who we are. In previous weeks, One of the things that we talked about was just a big-picture vision that we have of making 100,000 disciples in 20 years. Obviously, we do that through missions. But uh, also last week, we tried to show you that uh, we have a smaller vision as well, although not smaller in significance. uh, It's a little bit closer to home. Last week, we talked about parenting. I very much enjoyed preaching from Psalm 78 last week. This was the original theme chapter that contained the theme verse for our Arise and Tell campaign that uh, we are about to end. And it was basically about being a good parent. Well, today I want to talk to you about doing God's work. You, as an individual specifically, understanding and grasping what God has called you to do as a laborer in his kingdom. And that's the title of my message today. He is able to send out laborers. He is able to send out laborers. We get that word laborer from Matthew chapter 9. I invite you to open up your copy of God's Word. I'm going to read there in just a moment and we're going to see this prayer request that Jesus gave his apostles to pray about laborers because there's a big need for laborers in the kingdom. But as we consider this campaign, he is able, we're talking about a lot of the things that God is able to do. And we know that there's really nothing that our God can't do. There's nothing that our God is not able to do. One of the things that God is good at doing is not not just doing things in his power, but he is good at getting us to do things and giving us his power to accomplish things. So God's not only good at doing things, he's good at getting us to do things. In fact, when we look at Scripture, we see that we serve a God that tells people to do stuff. We see it all throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we see God coming to a guy named Abraham and telling him to do something, something that he probably did not want to do. He told Abraham to leave a country where he lived and to go live in a place where he would show him. didn't even tell him where he was going. God told a guy named Moses, he said, hey, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh. Again, something that he didn't want to do. Go and talk to Pharaoh and tell him, say, let my people go. God told prophets what to do, like Elijah told Elijah to go talk to Ahab and tell him, say, hey, it's not going to rain for a long time. We see God telling kings when to go to war and when not to go to war. In the New Testament, we see the same pattern. We see God coming up to people and saying, hey, give me a drink of water, or hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam. We see him coming up to common people and giving them simple tasks and not-so-simple tasks like, go and sell everything you own and come and follow me? The same directive that he gave to his apostles when he handpicked each one of them and he said, come and follow me, and then later told them to go and to make disciples. When we look at Scripture, we almost can't find anybody that God spoke to that God didn't tell them to do something or go somewhere. Has God told you to do something? Has God ever told you specifically to do something i don't i don't mean something generic like god has told all of us to do something but god spoken to you directly and told you to do something like maybe go on a mission trip or evangelize your neighbor or be a better dad or go and help in our care center or many many different things that god could tell his people to do if you have never been told by god to do something just wait If you're a disciple, it's not going to be long before God is going to tell you specifically and directly, He's going to tell you and lead you to do something for His kingdom work. He's going to ask you to be a laborer. He's asked every single one of us to be a laborer. After all, that's really what it means to be saved. That's just what it means to have a Lord over us is to have someone that gives us directives and tells us to do things. And in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says there's a need for laborers, and not even skilled laborers. People, uh, you know, oft- often uh, well, I used to say if you're looking for someone with a weak mind and a strong back, then I'm your guy. Well, as I get older, my back's not not quite as strong as it is anymore. But these are the type of people that Jesus implies that he's looking for. Not not people that are really smart. Not people that are really gifted. Not people that are great leaders. just, Just laborers. Just people that are willing to do the work. Anybody can be a laborer in the kingdom of God. So let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Stand with me and let's read these verses from Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start reading in verse 35. This tells us a little bit about Jesus's labor. It tells a little bit about Jesus's motivation for labor. It tells us a little bit about how there's a labor shortage and a whole lot about what Jesus tells us to pray for in concern with laborers. Verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. God, today, I hope that all of us see that we can meet this call to be laborers. God, you don't say that you're looking for people that are the most gifted or the people that are the most spiritual or the people that uh, have the highest ability to lead God, you just said that you're just looking for laborers. That's what your kingdom needs. And God, I pray that by the end of this sermon that all of us would have the heart of a laborer. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now I have to tell you today, I hold a little bit of tension in my heart about this sermon because the last thing that I want to do is to do to you what the world does to you. What the world does is they come up to you and they try to add more upon you. They try to pressure you. But they want to place more on your calendar. That They want to get you to do more. They want to squeeze as much out of you as possible. That's the last thing that I want to do to you today. I believe that there is a balance in Scripture that we see with work and with rest. And so, for that reason, this sermon today about being a laborer is going to be balanced a little bit with next week's sermon about how we're not supposed to engage in anxious toil. You know the difference between uh, fruitful work and busy work, anxious work uh, and, and productive work. And we see this balance in Scripture, this balance of work and this balance of rest. And so uh, I want you to understand today that my purpose is not to pile more upon you so you walk out of here guilty saying, okay, well, I just have to start doing more. I, don't, I, don't, I, I want you to see that that's not the point of this passage. And I hope that you'll see that next week as, uh, as uh, next week's sermon is going to also be from Matthew where Jesus said, don't worry about your life, um, basically saying that he's going he's to take care of you. However, I do think that some of us do this. Some of us, uh, try to, some of us try to do more than we're capable of doing, and we even do it for God. We even try to do it for God. If, if, for example, if, uh, if you show up at church and you work more than you worship, that's a problem. You need to primarily be a worshiper when you're at church and not a worker. we got to see this balance. The same balance that we're supposed to have in life between work and rest is the same balance that we should also have spiritually. But we should be able to clear out space in our hearts and clear out space in our minds, clear out space in our calendars to be a laborer for God. And this is what Jesus was. Jesus was a laborer. Jesus is not asking us to do anything for him that he hasn't already done by way of example. This is a great verse that really summarizes Jesus' ministry and what he did. If anybody ever asked you, what was Jesus' ministry like? You can just point to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. We see Jesus um, traveling the country. We see him Teaching the gospel, and we see him touching the lives of people. He traveled. He taught, he touched the lives of people. He traveled everywhere. In fact, the Bible says that he traveled throughout all the cities and villages. I dare say that there's probably not many people here that have gone through all the cities and towns and small municipalities in Putnam County. Anybody been everywhere in Putnam County? Could anybody? There might be a, there might be a few of you that say, man, I don't think there's any town or any township or any even un- unincorporated area in Putnam County that I haven't been. But the vast majority of you, you could probably say, uh, no, I've never been to that place. And certainly if we widen that out to, uh, to the upper Cumberland region, there's probably none of us that have been to all of those places. Well, Jesus was so passionate, he was such a labor for the kingdom, the scripture says that he went through all the cities and all of the villages in that particular region. And it tells us what he did there. He taught in their synagogues by proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He shared with them the truth of God's word. And then he did more than that. It's not like he just took a stage and then walked away. The Bible says that he touched the lives of people, that he healed diseases and affliction. He traveled, he taught, he touched the lives of people. I can just imagine being one of these 12 apostles trying to follow Jesus around the countryside Saying, we don't know where he's going to go next. We don't know what he's going to say next. Because Jesus said some pretty provocative and incredible things. And we don't know who he's going to talk to or what life he's going to touch next. I mean, Jesus associated himself with Samaritan women, and also, which were was was kind of a no-no in that culture, and he also associated with people like Matthew, a tax collector, as well as a variety of people. They probably thought in their minds, we have no idea where we're gonna go. We have no idea what he's gonna say, we have no idea what life he's gonna touch and change next, but Jesus was a laborer, and this is a model. This is, I think this is a great model for us. This doesn't mean that you're going to travel the world, but you, you might can travel across the street to your neighbor or travel across our parking lot and help at our care center or something like that, or maybe you will travel the world. But God's called us to go somewhere, to some person, to some place, to some people. He's called us to go. He's called us to share He's called us to, to, to give the gospel, to preach the truth of Christ, to teach it, to communicate it to people. And he's called us to minister to someone in some type of way. And it may not, there may not people that be people that write books about your life. That's not the point, like they did Jesus's. But God has still called us. This is a pattern of labor that we see in Jesus that is to be repeated in our own life. And kingdom labor, also we see in the life of Christ, is properly motivated. Jesus ministered to people for the right reason. You know, when I look at this verse, verse 36, there's, there's, there's a certain word that pops out at me, and it's, uh, it's an unlikely word. It's the word saw. The Bible says that when he saw the crowds that he felt a certain way about them and then he gave a spiritual diagnosis about them. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I see crowds of people, my heart usually does not leap with compassion. In in, in fact, I had someone right before the service tell me that they did not like crowds. And I almost told them, (laughs) I almost told them I was going to make a sermon illustration out of them, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to name their name. Um, but I feel the same way when it comes to crowds. I feel the same exact way. Not this crowd, but when I just see a random crowd in general. I'm not necessarily drawn to a crowd. I remember at my last church, last place where I lived, we got a Zaxby's. Now listen. If you lived in Manchester, Tennessee, and you got a Zaxby's, you'd be really, really happy. And I was really, really happy. Well, I drove—I drove by there one day to, uh, to, to 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 get me some some chicken from Zaxby's, and I mean, there was such a large crowd. People pile all out the door, and the the drive-through was wrapped around the store fifteen times. Like this, I thought to myself, you know what? I thought Rob, I thought, like, look at these crazy people. What what in the world are they doing for chicken? Well, there's something about how Jesus looked at people that was not typical of the way that we looked at people. When Jesus looked at people, whether it be individual people or whether it be groups of people, there's a certain heart attitude that Jesus had towards them and a, and, and a certain, just an expert way of being able to diagnose the spiritual needs of people. Now, whenever you go on a job site, you have to first see it correctly and understand what you, what you have to do and the work that needs to be, reformed, be performed. This is, the, this is the same way that Jesus did. You know, when we look around at each other, I'm, I'm not so sure that whenever we look at people, I, I, don't, I don't know that we see people correctly all the time. When we, look at, when we look at each other, when we look at different crowds, when we look at people that we know are perfect strangers, I'm not so sure that we look at people with the eyes in which Jesus looked at people. Jesus was able to look at people and had the right heart attitude towards them and to seek to minister to them based upon their spiritual needs. You know, we, we come into church and... You know, we look around at each other and we think, man, look at all these people. They all got it figured out. All these all these church people gathered around. They all look nice. They all smell good. They all just, you know, had good showers. They got really nice clothes. Everybody's smiling. How are you doing? All oh, my weeks been great. You know, we walk in, we see a group of people over there talking, and we say, Man, they're, they're, they have friends, they're connected with each other, they're happy. Look at them, they have, they have money, they're healthy. Isn't it so easy to walk into a church and just look at people and think, man, they have it all figured out? Can I tell you something, if, if that's you, and some of, some, of you know that's, some of you know that what I just, just described is, is not completely accurate, but if you're here today and you're looking around and you're thinking, man, these people have it all figured out, can I tell you that's just not true? Can I tell you that there are people here today that are hurting? There are people here today that are struggling with addictions. They're struggling with relationships, with their marriage. They're struggling with alcoholism. They're struggling with all manners of, of, uh, of, uh, of bodily ailments, whether it be um, uh, cancer. I mean, there's, there's all types of things that people, and, and, and there's a lot of people here that are struggling things and they have not told anybody. They just, keep it, they just keep it deep inside and they don't really tell you. Jesus was an expert of knowing how to look at people and seeing their need, to not see the mask that they put on or the veneer of, I'm okay and everything is great, but he was able to look at them and spiritually diagnose with compassion what needed to happen. And he made a statement as he looked, as he looked at the crowd. He didn't look at a crowd like I did, all those people pouring out his ax you know, look at them fools. He, well, then he looked at the crowd, he looked at them and he gave a spiritual diagnosis. He said they were harassed and helpless and they were, they were like, they were similar to sheep without a shepherd. Now listen, I don't know a lot about sheep, I don't know a lot about farm animals, but yesterday, just yesterday, I was on a farm and on this particular farm, they had fainting goats. Y'all know what fainting goats are? You ever been around fainting goats? They, they literally faint if you scare them. And so there was some of them walking beside me, and I, I, I kind of stood and I waited, and when one got beside me, I said, boo! And that thing just stiffened up like that right there and just fell over. And it was one of the funniest things that I have ever seen in recent memory. And I asked the person, the person who owned them was laughing as well. I was like, now this doesn't hurt it, does it? He goes, oh, nothing' to hurt about it. I said, let's, let's do it again. <laughs> now, I want you to imagine for a minute If we were to take these goats, these fainting goats, where if all you did was say, boo, and they would stiffen up and and, and fall over in paralysis, I want you to imagine if we were to take these fainting goats and we were to just turn them out in the wild, just just let them go out into the woods and just kind of fend for themselves, they would not last 24 hours. And when Jesus looked at the crowd, his spiritual diagnosis of, of these people just wandering, uh, wandering through the woods of life, he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. They are helpless and they are harassed. And his heart had compassion upon them. And he realized in that moment, or he knew, he knew in that moment, and perhaps the disciples realized in that moment, and we should realize, is, is that there is so much of that out there. There are so many of us that we could say that this is our spiritual diagnosis. We are being harassed by sin. We are helpless in these attacks that are coming upon us as individuals or, or maybe our family or maybe a sickness. I feel, I feel helpless, harassed and helpless. I think that's a, that's a common feeling that, that we feel sometimes as we, we go through this world. We lose our job. We feel harassed and helpless we have problems in life, we get a bad diagnosis, we have cancer, we're going through a divorce, and how do we feel? We feel harassed and helpless. We struggle with any kind of addiction or any type of ongoing sin. We feel harassed and helpless. And Jesus says, you're like a sheep without a shepherd. In other words, there's a big need in your life. There's someone, and there's someone that can help you, and there's work that needs to be done. Unfortunately, what Jesus basically says next is Jesus says that there's a labor shortage. In verse verse 37, when Jesus looked at that crowd and he saw that they were harassed and helpless, that they were like sheep without a shepherd, he, he turns to his disciples and he says, there is so much work out there, but we don't have enough laborers that would go out into that harvest and meet those needs. There's a labor shortage. Now, all of, us, all of us know what a labor shortage looks like. If you've been to a fast food restaurant lately, if you've been to Walmart, if you've been to any place that offers any type of retail service, you have seen the sign that says, Help Wanted. They're up everywhere. And you go into one of those places, and they're really, really busy, and you can't find an employee Anywhere, Or you have one that's behind the counter and they're frantically trying to take money and cook food and take out the trash. Uh, by the way, speaking of Zaxby's, I was in the Zaxby's right up here this past week. They didn't even have someone that could come out and dump ice into the ice cooler, so when they took your order at the counter, you were having to hand them, they'd hand you a cup, and then you'd go over to the ice dispenser, and there was no ice, and then you'd have to go back and say, there's no ice, and the guy said, I'm really sorry, we just don't have anybody that can do that right now, but he grabbed my cup and dipped it in and gave it back to me, and then ran off off frantically to help someone else. We we all know what a labor shortage looks like. And this is this is what Jesus is saying about the spiritual work of the kingdom. There's not enough workers. He doesn't say there's there's not enough smart people. He doesn't say, oh, we have plenty of laborers. We need smart people. Oh, we need gifted people. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying we need the smartest, gifted, the people that feel completely equipped, all those people that are super spiritual. Yeah, those. No, he's not saying those are the people that are needed. He says we just we, we, we just need laborers. We just need people that will help. You see, God's work is not a one-man job. You ever tried to do a one-man job by yourself? Two years ago, I decided to remodel my deck, and I thought that I was going to do it by myself. Well, if you have ever tried to pick up and lift and set in place a 16-foot, by 6 deck post, it, you, 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 some of you are more manly than I am, and you can handle that. Um, but I had to set like 10 or 15 of those dudes, and uh-uh. I had to call for help. It was more than a one-man job. Even, dem, even demolishing the old deck, more than a one-man job. I didn't even have the intellectual capacity to know the work that needed to be done, so I had to have a consultant, whose name is also Scott who helped me to understand. It was way more than a one-man job. I needed someone to help me to know what to do, I needed someone to help me know where to buy the materials, to know what materials to use, and to actually do the work. Doing God's work is not a one-man job. We need laborers. There's a big harvest. There's going on eight million people on this planet. 300-something million of them live right here in the United States. About 5-7 to million live in Tennessee. Maybe 70,000 or so within a 10-mile radius of us. 40,000 of them are not in church right now. The harvest is plentiful. It's everywhere. It's all around us. You know, from time to time, I'll have... I'll have someone come up to me and 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 they'll say, um, "Hey, I, I really want to do something for the church. Can what what can I do?" And uh, I just really appreciate that heart. Anytime someone asks me that, I just love that. Just the heart of I just I just want to serve. But the problem is sometimes I feel this burden. It's like we don't have this we don't have this list of jobs, and we're saying, "Hey, c- come here. We got something." Yes, take that. We don't we don't just we don't just like have a bunch of spare ministry waiting for you. It doesn't mean that we don't have needs from time to time. Uh, for example, right now we need some people that can help in student ministry. Isn't that right, Micah? You've published that. We need people to help in student ministry. Uh, we don't always need that, but at this time we, we kind of do. But we always need people that help in preschool ministry. In fact, you don't ever have to come and say, do you need help in preschool ministry? Yes, we do. You just raise your hand, hey, I'm here to help, and they can just shove you right in and they'll put 15 babies in your lap. And it's awesome. Um, Our care center, uh, you saw a display for our care center whenever you walked in. We can always use people to help at our care center. Um, And listen, that is right across the parking lot. There are people that are getting saved almost every single week right across our parking lot in the care center. There's all types of things that you can do, but here's the thing. We don't need you to figure out what you can do within these walls. We need you to hear from God to know what the Lord is calling you to do outside these walls where there's a harvest. I'm not so sure I really see a church worship service as a place where there is a harvest. Not like I do out in the world. If I go into Walmart, there's a lot more lost people in Walmart than there is if, y'all walk in, if I walk into Stephen Street Baptist Church. If I go down to the mall or if I go into a restaurant, there's a lot more there's a lot more lost people out there than are here. And here's what I'm finding is you know after 30 years or so in ministry, there are some people that do get saved in a worship service at church. But the vast majority of people that I'm hearing tell stories, they don't come up to me and say, "Pastor Scott, I heard one of your sermons and I got saved right there in the pew." Now I hear that some, but by and large what we hear of is you going out and sharing your faith and reaching your friends and neighbors and them getting saved someplace outside of these walls or maybe through one of our outreach events or special events and then coming to the church. And so this is almost like the storehouse where the harvest is brought. Jesus says we need people to go out into the harvest and labor. That's you, that's me, that's all of us. And they're 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 everywhere. They're they're sitting next to you in the pews. They're across the hall from you in your dorm room. They're living under the same roof in your house. They, They live in your neighborhoods. They work in the cubicles next to you or just down the hall in the next office or in the same building on a different floor. They're all around us. Why is there a lack of labor? Why did Jesus say there was a lack of labor? Here's some ideas for you. I think there's a lack of labor because there's a lack of awareness. We don't see like Jesus sees. We don't don't look at the world and look at individual people or crowds or groups. We don't look at them the way that Jesus looks at them. We don't don't look at people in foreign countries like places like India or places like Pakistan or places like North Korea or places like Russia. We don't look at them through the eyes of Jesus. like the sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and self- helpless and they need the gospel. We don't, we don't look at people the say we have a lack of awareness. We also have a lack of compassion. I think that sometimes we just don't care because we care too much about our own needs. We care too much about the things that we want from God and not so much about the things that God wants from us. We're so busy, preoccupied with ourselves. And sometimes there's just a lack of obedience. We just don't want to. We, we, we don't want to do what God tells us to do. We see that in Scripture a lot. We see Moses not wanting to leave Jethro and uh, uh, his father-in-law and, and go to Egypt. We see Elijah and all these prophets, God tell them to do things, and they're not doing it reluctantly. We, it's, it's very often we, we have a heart problem. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Jesus said, go and make disciples. I think also one of the reasons there's a lack of labor is we have a lack of time. Or here's a better way of saying it we're too busy. More on this next week, and I said this a little bit during the introduction. This has just been on my heart lately. I think we're just too busy. I think as Christian people, we're too busy. People in the world are overly busy. We don't need to be like them. We need to be people of peace. We need to be be people that are in control of our time and our calendars and our emotions and our busyness. And we we don't have time. God tells us to do something. We say, well, Lord, I don't have time. God would say, well, it's because you're too busy. But here's here's what we get at at the heart of the passage. I believe that one of the reasons that there's a lack of laborers is because there's a lack of spiritual maturity. We don't pray. And do you know this is the solution? This is the solution. You might, you, may, you might have missed this in this passage when you've looked at it before. This is the solution to the labor problem. Jesus told his disciples to labor in prayer in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, he said, therefore, in other words, because people are harassed and helpless, because people, there's, a, there's a large harvest, people are sheep without a shepherd, and there's a lot of them out there, and because there's a labor shortage, because there's, a late, uh, there's, a, there's a, a not enough people that are willing to labor, because of that, he says, I need y'all to labor in prayer. What's significant is what Jesus did not say. Here's what what Jesus didn't say. There's a big need out there. We don't have enough workers, and I need all y'all to sign up. I need everybody to get with it. Come on. It's time to work. It's time to work. Everybody, round up. We got a job to do. Let's get after it. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said something quite the opposite. He said, pray. And he and he said, pray in a certain way. What I'm about to say, I hope, is going to apply to more than just praying for laborers. Jesus didn't just say pray. Jesus said, pray earnestly. He said, pray earnestly. You, do you know what? You know what earnest prayer means? Earnest means to urgently beg. It means to urgently beg. Earnest prayer is different than casual prayer. Casual prayer is, well, I'll pray for you, brother. Casual prayer is just kind of routine. Now listen, I hope you have a routine of prayer. I hope you pray every day. How many of you have consistently prayed this week? Anybody? I hope you have a consistent prayer life. I hope you pray regularly. I hope you have routine prayers. But we pray casual prayers all the time. Casual, routine prayers. We have routine prayers in worship. We have routine prayers in our life group. We have routine prayers on Wednesday nights. You have routine prayers around meals. Those are those are good. You, you, need, to pr- you need to pray those prayers. But Jesus said, that's not gonna solve a labor problem. You gotta pray earnestly pray earnestly this means i'm starving and i'm begging for food i am thirsty and i'm begging for water i have this i have this angst inside of me and i'm driven to god in prayer do you want god to answer your prayer you're gonna have to learn to pray earnestly pray routine prayers but if you, really want, if you really want something spiritual to happen in your life, you're going to have to learn to pray earnestly. You're going to have to pray with pain in your heart. You're going to have to pray with, with angst in your soul. You're going to have to pray unordinary, extraordinary types of prayers. Like there is something wrong. And we have to pray and we've got to beg God. Because you see, God moves us when we pray. Jesus knew that. Jesus, Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that he could have cracked a whip and said it's time to get to work. It's time, it's time to labor. He, he could have done that. But Jesus knew that God moves us when we pray. There's something spiritual that happens in us when we pray and when we pray Earnestly. You see, praying people become laboring people. I think that's why maybe some people are scared to pray and ask God too hard because they're afraid of the answer. They don't know what God might tell them to do. And so they're content to have just this distance between them and God and do their, do, do their do, do the little religious thing on the side and do it just enough to feel like they're appeasing God but not really, not really beg for the heart of God. Oh, no, he might call me to go be a missionary he might call me to actually open my mouth and witness to my neighbor. He might call me to give up a hobby that I love. He might call me to do, he might call, he might ask me to do something crazy. Guess what? He is, that is exactly the God that we serve. He calls us to do radical things, like the rich young ruler called him to sell everything. Earnestly pray. God moves us. When we, when we pray. Why, why, do you, why do you think Jesus made this prayer request? Do you think that he told the disciples, hey, we need people to work. Pray for someone besides you to go work. Do you really think that's what Jesus meant? Do you really think he says, I don't mean for, y- I, I'm talking to the 12 apostles, I don't mean for y'all to go work. No. I don't mean for y'all to be the laborers. You just pray that God will tell somebody else to go be the laborer. That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus knows that God moves us whenever we pray. How about this one? I believe that our prayers move God. Now listen, I don't know how to explain this. I know that God is sovereign. He does whatever He wants. I get it. But I know that the witness of Scripture shows us that our prayers move the hand and the heart of God. Don't ask me to explain how that's consistent with the, the sovereignty of God, but it's true. And well, let me ask you this Do you believe your prayers matter? I mean, if your prayers don't matter, then why pray them? But you pray because you believe that your prayers do matter. And Jesus told us to pray earnestly because our prayers do matter. They matter. Our prayers move God. I'll prove it to you. 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 12 through 13. This was a prayer, an earnest prayer, not a casual prayer, not a routine prayer. This was an earnest prayer from an evil king of Judah named Manasseh. Let me tell you a little bit about Manasseh before we look at his prayer. Manasseh is I, th- I think we could say almost solely, Manasseh was solely responsible for God's final decision to destroy Jerusalem. Because of what Manasseh did, God said, It doesn't matter what happens from here on out. It doesn't matter how much revival happens. It doesn't matter if there's a godly king that comes after. It does not matter. Jerusalem will be destroyed no matter what. That was because of Manasseh. Manasseh was so evil, he was so vile, he led the country of of, uh, Judea astray so bad into idolatry, God said, I'm tired of putting up with this, it's too far gone, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. By the way, after Manasseh, probably one of the most godly kings that ever lived, was Josiah. It didn't matter. Josiah led some of the greatest reforms that was ever seen in the nation of Judah. And it didn't matter because of what Manasseh had done. But Manasseh repented at the end of his life. At the end of his life, Manasseh turned to God And one of the most evil, most vile kings, I would say the most evil and vile king that we find in the divided kingdom, in Judah, in the southern kingdom, prayed this prayer. The Bible says he entreated the Lord. He prayed earnestly, not casually, not just routinely. He prayed earnestly. He prayed to him. And look, God was moved. God was moved, and he heard him. You say, okay, well, that's just one passage. How about this one in Ezra? Ezra chapter 8, verse 23. Go look up the context of this one. It says, they implored our God. And what did he do? He listened. And how about this next one? 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5. This was prayed by Hezekiah. Hezekiah was Manasseh's father. So... uh, by the way there's a lesson there. Hezekiah was Hezekiah was a godly man and Manasseh turned out bad. Uh, some of you parents can probably relate to that. But Hezekiah prayed. He was kind of the opposite of Manasseh. He did great the most of his life, got a little bit off track towards the end of his life and God basically said, "You're going to die." And he prayed to the Lord. He prayed intently to the Lord. He 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 just he just earnestly cried out to God the prophet came and said, hey thus saith the Lord you're going to die and Manasseh the Bible excuse me the Bible says Hezekiah turned to the wall and he continued to just beseech the Lord the prophet was on his way out before he even got out of the out of the, the king's court God spoke to him and said go tell him he's going to live he turned back around he went back into the king's chamber talked to him on his on his on his sick bed and he said, hey I heard you I heard you. I've seen your tears. I've seen them. And he says, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to heal you. I encourage you. I challenge you. Listen, I dare you. I dare you to open up God's word and find, just take a cross-reference Bible, and find every reference in the Bible that talks about earnest prayer, that talks about urgent prayer, that talks about not just routine prayer, but just, just prayers with angst, like, like the, 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 the disciples in Acts chapter 5, I think it was, where they prayed for boldness and God answered. Prayers that God answers, prayers that seem to make a big difference, are the prayers that are prayed earnestly. And we see it all throughout Scripture. Look them up. Look them up and read them. And you'll see that these are the types of There are many of them just like this. That God is moved by them. I don't know where you are today. And I don't, I don't, I don't know where you are spiritually. But I hope, if nothing else, I hope, if nothing else, I hope you leave here today saying, I am going to... I'm going to engage in earnest, extraordinary prayers. I'm going, to, I'm going to stay in my routine. I'm going to pray what I usually do. And we're going to continue to do routine prayers. We're going to pray in just a moment. We do it every Sunday. We pray after the second song every Sunday. You pray in your life group every You pray around meals. Continue to do those. But I hope that I have wet your appetite for a level of prayer that unfortunately so many Christians never get to. To where they begin to entreat God. And let me tell you something. You have reached you have, you, you have reached a spiritual place when you begin to pray like that for God to use you to do something for Him. You see, we can get real caught up in praying earnest prayers when we're desperate for God to do something for us. God, I need you to do something for me. God, I want you to do something for me. But I wonder if we could follow Jesus' command in Matthew chapter 9 where he says pray earnestly, not for God to do something for you, but pray earnestly that you might do something for God. I dare you to pray like that. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes.